Hello, and how do you do, sports fans? It's your old pal Ben Raskin, and this is Tribune Sports Radio. We're recording this on the week of June 25th, 2014, on the seventh floor of the beautiful Salt Lake Tribune offices. Uh, we apologize about not having the regular scheduled program on this Monday. I was unable to attend because of a family visitation to Salt Lake City. Today we've got a little bit of a different show for you. We're going to be talking some uh, the beautiful sport, uh, some soccer, and we're going to be looking at the NBA draft. Uh, U.S. and Germany are going to be uh, facing off tomorrow on Thursday morning, and uh, at the same time, later in that afternoon, I should say, uh, the NBA draft will start off, and who better on staff at the Tribune than to have Chris Camrani and Tony Jones come in and walk all us sports fans all through the great activities that will be happening on Thursday. Be a, uh, be a mensch, help the show. Uh, you can listen to this on iTunes or at sltrib.com. And uh, if you go to the iTunes and you subscribe to the show, do us a big favor. Give us a nice five-star review and a little bit of a comment to help put a little wind underneath the wings of the sporting world that we do for you. Uh, so without further ado, you've been patient for 48 hours. Here is your show. Before we fired up the mics, uh, Kamrani and I were talking about the USA and uh, the USA and Portugal match there, and just what a gut check that was. I mean, Chris, I mean, Romaldo, I'm not Romaldo, that's the guy who plays for us, but uh, Ronaldo, supposed to have been out of shape, injured, and yet you give him 20 seconds and he can equalize any game. I mean, what, would, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's what great players do. It's that cliche, you know, like he's at 70%, his knees. It's a bum knees on, basically. He's not at full strength. He's not running as well as he could. But the ball rolls to him, and he makes makes a bit of magic out of it, as soccer people say. So um, good players do what they do. I mean, you saw it with Michael Jordan. You saw it with Kobe Bryant. You see it with LeBron James. It's when they get when you give them a chance, they can beat you. And they – well, in soccer, he didn't beat them, but he kept the U.S. from clinching a spot in the next round. Were you drinking the Kool-Aid, too? Um, no. I was drinking the Kool-Aid after that second goal, and we're looking at like five minutes left in play. I was like, we've got this. We have this. We have this, and there's no way they're going to take this from us. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, they didn't do anything, really, if you think about it, in those last 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, when, when the U.S. equalized in like the 64th, like they had the momentum. I mean, Portugal didn't have any really shots on goal. The U.S. was really taking it to them. They were commanding possession. But, you know, with Klinsman making subs late, and I think they were trying to kill time a little bit, they were suddenly thrown off a little bit with their formations. You know, they were taking midfielders off and putting defenders on, so suddenly you have five or six defenders kind of packed together at the back, and sometimes there's not that good a communication. And you saw that, that ball, when, when the ball rolls to Ronaldo, there's that guy making the run within, like, there's like four or five U.S. shirts around him, yeah, but yeah. No, one, no one turned their head to see if there was anyone making a run. So it's a phenomenal, phenomenal cross. But I mean, the finish was great too. So yeah, I mean, it's soccer. It's it's how this World Cup is playing out. It's pretty insane. Is there any person who's more ashen white than a reserve coming onto the field with like 16 minutes left in the game? I mean, if you look at the other sports, like obviously hockey has the lines to do the changes. Basketball, you can sub in and out. But there's a time when they're like a lot of these guys are crossing themselves, like you know, giving the sign of the cross on themselves, right. kind of throwing one up, you know, a couple of shoot. Uh, six shooters up towards the big guy upstairs, but you look at it on their face, I mean, they are ashen white, you know? I mean, it, is that just what makes it a beautiful game? Is that it, 
it's the biggest stage and these players know that they're actually stepping into a historical kind of experience? Well, I, th- I think so. I think when there's a lot on the line, that has to come into play as well. I mean, if you're, if you're coming on to make a difference, to help score a goal, to keep your team alive, there's, there's pressure. I mean, you wait four years to get to this point. You go through so much. I think that's kind of what gets forgotten at the World Cup is like these countries travel all over for two and a half years to qualify just to get here. They, you know, they lose heartbreakers. They win really, you know, dramatic games. They draw really dramatic games. So it's all, it's all leads up to this point. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're a substitute coming on, you kind of have to uh, – maybe settle the nerves a little bit, especially, I mean, it's one thing if you're up like three to nothing and you're on to just maybe pour on the goals, but if you're down a goal or down two goals and you need to get things going, I think that's a completely different thing. Looking forward, tomorrow morning we're going to be facing Germany, and there's obviously a lot on the line for America to make it to the round of 16. Uh, it's not entirely in our hands because it's probably going to be very, very difficult for us to beat Germany. Uh, and so what was, what's the situation for America to advance? It's they A draw or win gets them through. A loss still gets them through. Ghana just can't beat up on Portugal too much if they win. If Ghana beats them up or if Portugal wins, they can't score more than two? No, it's the uh, it's Ghana. Oh, Ghana. Ghana can't score more than two. Portugal's goal differential is like minus four. Okay. So really they would have to win by five and the U.S. would have to lose by two. So that's that's a very far fetched scenario at this point. They talked about a little co- maybe a little cohesion on not cohesion, but the possibly Germany and U.S. might lay up a little. Because of Jurgen? Yeah. No, no way. I think I think um, with how good this group is and with there's so many storylines. I mean, there are, there are four or five German Americans on this on this U.S. team, and there are guys who are overlooked by Germany. Well, Germany is arguably the best team in the world, most stacked. But still, I mean, you have a Jermaine Jones who scored that that equalizer last game. Fabian Johnson, John John L. Brooks, who came off the, um, uh-huh. the um, miraculous header. Yeah, John Anthony Brooks. Sorry. Yeah. So it's. I mean, these are guys who are going to have motivation to play well against their home country. And there's no guarantee you have to get through the group at this point. I mean, if you would have told any U.S. fan four points through the first two games, they'd take it. But I mean, it's just brutal just losing losing that guarantee in that those last. 30 seconds against Portugal. Now you have to play against arguably one of the best teams in the world and play not to lose because Tony knows what, ha- what happens when you play to lose. You, you lose. Yeah, yeah you lose. <laughs> With um, – because uh, this is the, the Salt Lake Tribune, we do cover the Real Salt Lake, which you're the beat writer of. Uh, give Kyle Beckerman's uh, – give him a grade, a, a through F. How's he been doing through this entire World Cup to date? A through F. Um, I would say Kyle gets a pretty – a minus B plus range. He's been really, really solid for him. I think when you're looking at that defensive midfielder role, it's a role that you don't necessarily look for on the field. He's not the guy that's really getting things going or scoring goals or setting goals up like a Michael Bradley or Clint Dempsey. But, you know, against a Ghana who's tremendously quick, tremendously talented on the ball, he was there. Um, you know, they were under it for a good 75 minutes, and Kyle was there to really snuff things out. And against Portugal, it was kind of the same thing, but with the U.S. under it, or not under it, he was able to, you know, keep the ball and really distribute in order to look for that equalizer, and he did that really well. And it's impressive that he's played so well with Michael Bradley struggling a little bit, who's arguably the best, most well-rounded American. So I think when you look at Kyle and Jermaine Jones, two guys who, you know, Real Salt Lake fans have always given Jermaine Jones a lot of flack, saying Kyle's better than this guy, he should play ahead of him. But I think if you look at two of the stars so far, it's been those two guys, and they've been on the field at the same time. With uh, <clears throat> there are time, um, 
because you are, uh, the MSL has a where we're at what point of the season are we at like sixteen games underneath? We're the about race? the halfway point. The yeah. second the ha- second half of the season starts on Saturday. Starts on Saturday with that. So how for, with these uh, our, uh, MSL players put, putting an impact into the World Cup is how important has it been that they don't have a full fifty game season underneath them? Oh, I mean, it's still a long season. It's it's nine and a half months, and it's brutal. Um, and it's going to take some time for Kyle and those guys to get back and into shape for this team because I mean. No matter how far this team goes, they're going to be a little bit gassed. I mean, Ramondo will be able to jump back in. He's, you know, he's on the bench and he's doing a lot of stuff in training, but he'll be able to jump back in, assuming he's he's healthy. But guys like Kyle and, and Sabarillo broke his foot when he was yeah. at, before he went to the World Cup, so he's out until maybe September, October. So I mean, it it is a benefit that the season is long, but it it also hampers this team a little bit because now they're undermanned quite a bit going into a really important stretch of the season where, you know, they struggled the last week and a half. Uh, Eli Walsh, the famed character actor, last, died last night at the age of 98, and he was uh, famously in uh, The Magnificent Seven as well as in The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. We want to talk about an ugly part in this World Cup. Uh, what about this Luis Suarez and his biting? I want to hear what Tony thinks about it. Yeah. You don't want to hear what I'm thinking about it. It's, it's now the second most prominent bite in a sporting event after Holyfield Tyson. Holyfield tweeted <laughs> tweeted last night, and he was like, I guess any body, body part is up for grabs or, or is appetizing. Well, it looks like um, it looks like FIFA's going to suspend him for, for a significant period yeah. of time. I mean, as well they should. I mean, there's just no place in the game for that. Yeah, but it's just like it's funny. If you think about, like, 1950s, you didn't have the social media. You didn't have – Oh, I'm sure there was some crazy stuff going on. If you did somebody in the 1950s in the sport of play, that would get plenty of attention as well. You still wouldn't need social media to know that they <laughs> – Fair enough. But you just when, have to read a newspaper. When you bite somebody, that's just so outlandish. And it's but, it, it's, but I think the thing gets me the most is, like, how do you think you're going to get away with this? Like, emotions. Yeah, nowadays. Yeah, like, nowadays for sure. And especially a guy become that – become a man almost, you know? Well, he's done it twice, too. That's the yeah. thing. And it's – there was so much written about Luis Suarez and how he's like this villain of the sport and how he's so good, but he just can't keep anything together when he's out on the field. And, you know, uh, the New York Times did a great profile, and he said how he was a changed man. And, you know, there's photos of him holding his kids and, you know, giving this interview. And, I mean, clearly something changes when he's out there. I mean, the dude's tremendously, tremendously talented. But I think one thing you have to – you can't really forget is that professional athletes have a different switch. Yeah. I mean, especially the really, really good ones. I mean, I'm not saying biting someone is, is, is you're not a, saying they're going back to the reptilian nature where well, it's eat or be eaten. But. I mean, <laughs> there is a switch that they, that they have. And I think if you look for any means necessary to get a leg up on the opponent, Maybe I mean maybe that's something. Maybe I don't know. I mean the, the crazy thing the, to me is that he the thinks guys he, that are that are celebrated in sport are the ones that that become killers on the field, um, not biters, <laughs> not literally killers, but right. the ones that can. I mean, you look at you know Ray Lewis. I mean, he becomes you know he becomes a maniac when he's out there playing football, and you you look at you know you see it in his eyes. Almost. You look at Mike Tyson. You look at Mike Singletary. Uh, take Mike Singletary. He's a great example. The old Chicago Bear. Uh, old Chicago Bear, pastor, yeah, reverend, <laughs> one of the all-time good guys. The guy was an absolute psycho when he was <laughs> playing football. And and that's that's the the switch that you have to flip in order to be successful, um, to order to be successful in the sport that you play. I mean, and and all, and the ones that aren't celebrated, the ones that are so-called nice guys, <laughs> and the the ones that are so-called too nice to to um to um to 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 excel 
at the highest level. So, I mean, it's it's a fine line, but you just can't go biting people. So, I I don't know. Part of me, I mean, it's it's not okay, but part of me likes it because, you know, working in this industry, you're so you're dealt with the regurgitated stuff on a daily basis. You know, the same old sports talk, coach talk, one game at a time. We gotta we gotta improve every single day. And it's like, maybe, I mean, it's, it says something that one of the most talented players in the world is this crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, like, may, I mean, maybe it's sad that he has, obviously he has some issues if he's bit three different people, like in the last five years during an actual game. But there, there, is, a, there is a stat that said the team he's played on has never lost in a game that he's bitten. He, when he was with Ajax, when he was with Ajax, they, they drew. When he was with Liverpool, they drew against Chelsea that day. And then Uruguay won yesterday. So, hey, I mean, if it works, it works. But um, I don't know, man. It's if, cool. If we went through the, this entire seventh floor of the Tribune, is there any biters on staff here? Man, yeah. that's off the record. Um. <laughs> Better question is: Is there anybody in the building here? So yeah, yeah, yeah all seven <laughs> stories of this building. Um, the player that's impressed me the most of this was, in the game that impressed me the most was Brazil and Mexico, and with Ochoa's performance between the pipes. Sure. Uh, uh, it's Mexico. Obviously, they have a lot to thank for with the United States going down. Was it Panama? Panama. And yeah. we went two zero on them for them to get. No, they the U.S. was down two one, and then the U.S. came back and scored two goals in stoppage time to, to beat Panama, Panama to allow Mexico, Mexico to go into that. Yep. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have two questions before we, uh, on this uh, World Cup, then we're gonna jump to Tony and talk about this NBA draft coming up here. But one. Who are the four teams you think are going to be getting into the, the that final spot? And well, let's backtrack even more. Like uh, U.S. Germany in this one. What do you think? Uh, give me a prediction on an outcome with this. Um, I think the U.S. will draw. I think um, they can't go behind though, really early the way they did against Portugal, because Germany is a different different beast. And Portugal didn't have, you know, you could tell that their body language was poor even after going up. They didn't. I mean, they've they're their team has been struggling a little bit in terms of cohesion on the field. They don't have great chemistry. They have great players. But Germany's just kind of going on all cylinders. And Ghana played well against them. I and mean, Ghana took it to them. But Germany's a different beast. They're going to be motivated to play Klinsmann because there's a little bit of history there with Klinsmann winning a World Cup, coaching them, and then kind of falling away. There was a lot of talk that Klinsmann isn't a great tactical coach uh -huh. and that a lot of that was due to his really good assistance. Who's now the national coach. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yogi Lowe. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think they'll draw. I don't. I don't know if they. I don't know if they'll win. Um, I don't think it's going to be a rehearsed draw, but um, I think the U.S. will be able to get through, just because of how well they've played the first the first two games. I mean, if they struggled mightily in the first two games, I would say it probably isn't an, isn't a a good a good. Um, it isn't going to work out for them. Yeah, yeah. But but how, with how well they played, I think um, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point. So going through the European uh, here, is it Netherlands, Germany, Brazil, or ne Costa Rica? Is that Netherlands, Ger well, yeah, Netherlands, Germany, Costa Rica, Uruguay, Chile, um, maybe Chile, Colombia. A lot of these teams are through. Um, the Netherlands play Mexico, and Mexico's hot. Yeah. I mean, I think the Netherlands are a great Chile. offensive team. But Mexico is believing, and I think once you have, you know, they have a crazy coach who has awesome sideline 
um, animation. I don't know if you've seen the Mexico coach freak out yeah, on the sidelines. He's awesome. Um, I think I think when you're look, I think Argentina will make it. Messi's you know scored four goals in three games. Neymar's on fire for Brazil. I think Brazil will make it, even though they've struggled a little bit. But they're dark horses, man. I mean, you look at Colombia. They've won all three of their games, and they've done it in great fashion, great style. Um, the Netherlands have you know put up a bunch of goals. But if you're really looking for a dark horse, I think Mexico could make a run. Really, if they get past the Netherlands, I think you know you get from there. You get to the quarterfinals, and at that point. You know, you. I mean, they deserve to be here, but I think Mexico is a team that could really shock the world. That'd be great. So Aaron Falk right now is back in New York getting ready for the NBA draft, and we're lucky to have Tony to come back in here and kind of work us through the... I'm uh, the leftover. <laughs> to work us through what's probably going to happen tomorrow. Uh, before, last time Tony was on the podcast, we didn't have a head coach, and now that we have Quinn Schneider in there, uh, I asked the question to him last time, and I'm going to re-ask this question. You said the last time was that you get to draw the best player for this. Now, if, if you could get inside Quinn Snyder's head, who's he looking for? Who's going to be the best fit for this Utah Jazz? If they stay at five? If they stay at five. Noah Vonley. No doubt? Not much. Not much doubt. So um, where does he fit in with, with this current roster? Uh, he plays the power four. forward. And he can step out and shoot the ball. Uh, he already has college three-point range. Uh, the Jazz feel that he'll be able to develop – uh, into a kind of Chris Bosch type of player. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I have been told that he's capable of stepping into the playing rotation right away, uh, top eight, top nine, mm -hmm. uh, because he can rebound the ball and he can defend the basket. And uh, the Jazz feel that if, if, if they stay at five and they draft Von Ley and then you put him with Derek Favors, uh, that it, it would uh, form a, a pretty formidable uh, defensive front uh, as well. Part of the fun of doing a podcast, which is more guys giving their opinions and stuff like that, is you get to do uh, these hypothetical situations and stuff like that. There's been some crazy uh, rumor mills going around that the Jazz might trade up and stuff. Uh, and stuff. What what have you heard and what's kind of the fun stuff that you know, you've been reporting? Um, I, the Jazz are definitely they were de they've definitely tried to trade up. They're they're probably still trying to trade up. Uh, they have. Uh, I've uh, been in talks uh, with other teams um, with the intention of trading up. Um, I've been told that uh, some of the some of the reports in terms of some of the packages individually that have been offered uh, are a little bit inaccurate. Uh, so, uh, you know, the one thing that I've been told is that teams, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday before the draft for when teams really start to show their hand in terms of w what they really want to do. So. You know, a lot of uh, the stuff that we've heard over the weekend has is, is just been posturing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that um, if it happens, uh, it happens. Uh, but I don't think the Jazz are holding their breath in terms of uh, hoping that it'll happen. Uh, and I, I, get the, I get the sense uh, from people that I've talked to that it won't happen. With Embiid's foot, uh, how is that going to impact his draft selection? Um, he's going to drop. Um, you know, was the, he looking at being the number one going to Cleveland? Well, he would have been the number one going to Cleveland. Yeah. There's no prior to that foot injury, no question. Um, so if Embiid's there, why not take him over Vonley? Um, because for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Jazz um, haven't had much success getting his medical report. Um, What's that possible? From, well, it's very possible. His <laughs> agent just doesn't give it. Agent doesn't give it. Yeah, that's that's all agent stuff right there. Yeah. So, you know, um, 
Arm Tellum, who is uh, MB's agent, is is trying to steer him to, to Boston or, or Los Angeles. So you want to steer steer your client to, to one place or the other. You just don't you just don't work with the other teams. Now the Jazz can still draft them. They can still take them, um, and they might decide to still take them. But you know the bottom line is, I mean, they'd be taking a, a monstrous risk because you're looking at a guy who is 19 years old who has had a fractured back and a fractured foot in the span of six months. And he's 220 pounds right now. He's going to need 30 more pounds yeah, to, bang and to, 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 to deal with the, the physical play of the NBA, especially as a center. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of worry there. I mean, how do you – if you can break your foot in a workout, you know, at 220 pounds, I mean, what's happening when you're 250 pounds and you're playing 82 games? I mean, he wasn't able to get through a college season. And the two worst things that a big man can have is a bad back and a bad foot, and Joel Embiid has had both of them in six months. So if the Jazz reach out and take him, yes, you're you're getting a guy who's a potential franchise, who could be the best player in the draft, who could probably uh, be the best front court player in the league one day, but you're taking just a humongous risk. And uh, I'm not sure they can afford to take that. Would you – when you're looking towards um, a big man like this, do the Jazz need an immediate impact player? And so that uh, would then put Embiid into more of a um, work project over the course of a couple of years. But don't they – they have that in Rudy Gobert, I think. Yeah, no, but you know, if – well, here's the thing. If Embiid is healthy, he's an impact player. Yeah. And and he's an impact player sooner rather than later. So he, he's not a he's not a project in the sense where – you know, with Rudy Gobert, it's going to take him four years to get to the point where he can play 30 minutes a game. I mean, Joel Embiid, if he were, if all things being equal, if he were healthy, you can put him out 30 and play him 30 minutes on 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 October 30th, which mm-hmm. is you know probably a regular season opener. So, um, you know, he's he's a guy who's who's got a much more polished and advertised offensive game. He's he's a defensive. He's a monster defensively. He's he's abnormally athletic for a guy for for a guy his size, uh, and and he's a guy that has unlimited upside. I mean, it's just it's just an issue that his health is uh, such a such a risk right now. So, what are the concerns about Von Ley? Well, the concerns about Von Ley are you know that he we talk about that killer instinct, um, but you know the the concerns of Von Ley are. Does he have that killer instinct to 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 thrive? And you know how much uh, how much is he going to get better offensively? Uh, his his post game is a little bit mechanical. Um, you know, scouts worry about the form on his jumper, uh, whether he can truly become a stretch four. Um, but he has significant strengths as well. He's a he's a uh, I would I would say he's an almost elite rebounder. I mean he. Led the Big Ten in rebounds, and for for a freshman to do that in the Big Ten, I mean that's pretty good, um, you know. And and he uh, he played really well under some difficult circumstances this year. I mean he he played on that team was bad. That he played on a really bad offensive team, yeah. and a team that really ignored him in the post for the most part this year. While uh, Yogi Ferrell sat outside and shot threes, uh, so you know he had to go and get a lot of his stuff on his own. 
So he's used to playing without the ball and, uh, and, and creating shots, for, creating offense for himself. Um, but he's he's 6'9". He's got a 7'4 wingspan. I mean, he's got great measurables. He's one of the two youngest guys in the draft. And, I mean, and, and, and the Jazz think that he has significant upside. Does this make Parker the number one pick? Always? No, Parker will go number one. Uh, Wiggins will probably go number one. I'm 90% sure that and Parker will, will go number two. Where do you think Smart's going to land? Um, I think Smart will, will – he, he can go as high as number four to Orlando. Uh, and if he gets past Orlando, I think he's uh, hoping and praying that, uh, that Los Angeles takes him at seven. Um, but uh, four, I, I think four is his, is his, is his ceiling. And mm-hmm. I think uh, eight to Sacramento is probably his floor. Um, I think that he, he probably won't last past number eight. Now, the guy to, to watch is Alfred Payton from Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, um, he's been fast rising up the board. And if there's anybody, if there's any point guard who could supplant Marcus Smart for that first point guard taking spot, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be Payton. So why not take Smart? If Smart and Von Lair on the board, if the Jazz have Favors, Cantor, and Gobert, well, if if the Jazz feel that Marcus Smart is the best player available and he's there, to, they've they said multiple times that they won't hesitate to take him. So Even it's only it's only it's at five, it's best player available, right? Best. Player or I mean, available. is it always that way? It's always that way, especially. But for the Jazz, it's especially that way um, this year because you know they're not married to any position. I mean. Yes, they need a small forward, but, you know, they're not going to reach for one. Uh, yes, they need a power forward, but they're not going to reach for one. They feel like they can draft anybody and they can, and that person can come in and make an impact at any position. Successful draft for the Jazz will probably be ultimately determined by the end of the season, seeing how these players work out for them and stuff. Like, uh, with, uh, is there any talk on later picks that who they're looking at, or is that just not even part of the conversation? Yeah, that 23 pick doesn't have very good history. Yeah. AC Green? Well, I mean, this, this draft, to me, this draft is deep enough that you can get a contributor at 23. I mean, they can draft somebody like a C.J. Wilcox uh, from Washington at 23, and he could come in and make an impact because he's 6'6", and he can shoot the ball in the jazz, and he's shooters in the worst way. Um, you know, and I think that this draft is deep enough that some of the guys, uh, some somebody, to me, is gonna is going to take a slip. And take us and take and take a dive. Now, the one thing that you gotta look at twenty three and thirty five is um, the Jazz could either flip those two picks for picking later teams, mm-hmm. or they can flip those picks for a veteran uh, somewhere around the league, somewhere in the twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight range that could come in and help right away. Um, Dennis Lindsay has assets, and uh, as the general manager for the Jazz, he's not afraid to use them. He proved that last year when he uh, traded for for Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a guy that that sees what he wants and he tries to go and and he tries to go and get it. It seems like this the league is so you know wing oriented, and you know there's very few big guys that make an impact on both sides of the ball. And the Jazz don't have much. I mean, they have Gordon and then they have Alec Burks. Why not get a lot of those guys going? I mean, you saw in San Antonio that you have Tim Duncan and you you surround him with Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green. I mean, it seems like to me, if you're if you maybe you grab Marcus Smart or Vonley at five, but at 23, don't you have to find a shooter or a guy like maybe a, a TJ Warren who has who could be a great you know six man off the bench? Is that is that a, a priority for them? Is to is to increase the the depth they have you know on the wings? 
Well, their formula is this: if 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 they stay pat at the draft and and, and take and, and draft in their slots, their formula will be best player available at five, then address the need, then address a need at twenty three, and just address another need at thirty five. You gotta look at it. I mean, when you're drafting at thirty five. I mean, it's like you're going to get a borderline first rounder right. um, at 35 as well. So uh, they they feel that they can address needs uh, later in the draft. I could tell you T.J. Warren is somebody that is definitely on their radar. And if T.J. Warren somehow – He seems like a guy that should be a lottery player to me. I mean, well, I mean, he doesn't shoot that well, but watch, I watched him a couple of times he get, last year. He gets buckets, but, you know, he doesn't have the athleticism of, you know – um, he doesn't have Jabari Parker's athleticism. He doesn't have Andrew Wiggins' athleticism or Aaron Gordon's athleticism. You know, that limits his upside some, but he's somebody that can absolutely get buckets in the league. And he gets, I mean, he, he can really, really score. And he's somebody that, you know, him, you know, Rodney Hood's another guy um, that, you know, I mean, I'm not sure Rodney Hood would ever fall to 23. In fact, I'm sure he won't. But, you know, that's another guy that the Jazz would, would really, would really like. I mean, they would, you know, in terms of wings, I mean, there are guys that they would trade up into the top, you know, 15, 16 for um, if they had the chance. So, you know, it's just going to be a matter of seeing how things play out and seeing how, how things uh, go. Outside of the Wiggins, the Parker, the Embiid's, the Vonleys, who's your favorite player in this draft? Outside of maybe a, a guy that you think will go in the top five or ten. You know – I really like Alfred Payton. I mean, I heard know. he's a Rondo type player. That's what I've been reading. Because I I read he can't score very well. I mean, he doesn't have a great shot. He is a six foot five, much more athletic Delon Wright. So picture Delon Wright with doing everything that Delon Wright does with elite athleticism, like with the athleticism to get into the lane and just you know go over top of people in traffic. Tyreek Evans? And no. No, because this guy's a point guard. And, you know, he's every bit of 6'5". And, you know, one of the reasons why he's his stock is shot through the roof is because of the fact that he shot it so well in workouts. Okay. Um, and, you know, that was the one knock on him going into the draft process. You know, nobody thought that he could shoot the ball. And then he goes in the workouts and he blows everybody away with his shooting. Now, does that transfer? Does that translate to the league? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, this is a guy who can handle the ball. He can get into the lane. He sets teammates up. Uh, he's a winner. Uh, he carried Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette uh, to the NCAA tournament. And I watched that game. That team around him was not very good. Who'd they um, play? It was Creighton. Mm. And, and Creighton beat them. Um, and um, so, you know, he's a guy – I really think that his skills definitely translate to the league. He's a very good pick-and-roll player, and he, he, I think he's got a chance to be a, a significant tr- contributor. I like Nick Staskis. He's my I guy. like Nick, too, because Nick has range, and he's got size. He's every bit of 6'6". Six, six. He seems like got, a, two, a true two-guard. Yeah, he's got tremendous range. He puts the ball on the floor better than people think. He's a much better athlete than anybody gives him credit for, um, and, and he's a guy that, that – you know, really doesn't give a rip about anybody on the floor. But he, but he's he's a reach of five. I mean, he seems like he's a yeah, guy he's that would a reach go like five. ten to fourteen. He's, he's, you know, his his ceiling is is nine. Right. Um, 
to 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 um, to the Hornets, and um, he can go anywhere from that nine to fourteen range. So how's this going to work out for the Jazz uh, this upcoming year? I mean, one player is that going to be enough of an impact, or these two people that are going to come in? Are we going to be able to uh, best our record with maybe a minimum of six victories, or is it still going to be a big rebuilding year for the Utah Jazz? I can tell you right now, Dennis Lindsay wanted last year to be a one year thing. So, and I don't think it's fair to answer your question in terms of how they how they're going to be until you fig- we figure out how they look after free agency, because um, I think the Jazz are going to be uh, significant players in free agency. LeBron. They're not getting LeBron. LeBron. Jazz fans, don't listen to Chris. That's not happening. They're not getting LeBron. They're not getting Carmelo. Dwayne Wade, maybe. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't anymore. Sorry, I'm trolling, Tony. Where do you think uh, LeBron's going to land? There's like six teams kind of in the hunt. Do you think Houston is number one? Um, I think, I think um, a big telltale sign for what LeBron, what's going to happen with LeBron is – what happens with Dwayne? No, uh, uh-uh. what happens with Dwayne Wade? And what happens with Chris Bosh? If you see them opt out, uh-huh. then that means that they were all in concert. They were all opting out uh, with the intention of taking less money, clearing cap space, and attracting attracting new free agents. If those two don't opt opt out, then that means that it's no longer about simply winning in Miami and there's a much better chance that LeBron goes elsewhere. So help me out with the calculus on this because I'm not as bright as other people. So if the Bosch and Wade opt out, that means they're going to renegotiate contracts for the three of them to make it have more uh, salary room to bring in free agents so like right. Carmelo, Mel- uh, Carmelo or uh, who? I don't think Car- I don't think Carmelo is the guy that they're really targeting. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, but the guy the guy that they're targeting is Kyle Lowry from 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 Toronto. Because they really need, they really need a point guard. No more Mario. No uh, more Super Mario. Mario, I think Mario's days in Miami are numbered. Um, um, what they, well, this is this is two things. Miami wants to trade up in the draft. They've targeted Shabazz Napier from UConn. Um, LeBron loves him, and Miami obviously wants to to to, to placate LeBron, and um, I think they're going to try to draft him. And if they can get Kyle Lowry uh, as well, I think that's that point guard position will be significantly upgraded. Don't they need a big, though? They need a big in the worst way. Yeah. They need a big, and they need to actually play Michael Beasley, who uh, I think can, can really contribute to them as well. So if they bounce, so if they choose not to Bosch and Wade, choose not to opt out, that means – if Bosch and Wade choose not to opt out, that means that – LeBron's going to start looking around for another team to land on. I think that means that, you know, there's a much better chance of LeBron leaving. Honestly, to tell you the truth, the only the only place I can – other place I can see him going is back to Cleveland. Not New York. And they're not, not LA, even – Not any other – it's just – what, to finish off his career where he started it, to apologize for the decision. To play for David Blatt? No, I, I think he wants to go where, you know, he want, he's going to win. And, you know, that's a, if he goes back to Cleveland, he's got a team that he can win with. Um, and not only that, I don't think, you know, uh, you know, public – I mean, he took such a backlash uh, in public opinion the first time um, that, you know, I think – I think 
legacy wise, I don't think it'd be smart for him to go to to Los Angeles or or Houston or somewhere like that. With you have you've met uh, with NBA players and talked to them and interviewed them and stuff. I mean, there's got to be a balance between this idea of like you know hammering a check and then also winning. I mean, he's clearly hammered enough checks in his career where you'd have to worry about that. I mean, is is he trying to position himself later in life to be able to? Owner of a team to to like to, uh, what what would be his legacy besides what he's already accomplished? Well, he wants to win as many championships as possible. That's his that's his main motivation. He's made you know his he's he makes so much money in endorse. He's a little like Michael Jordan in that way. He makes so much money in endorsements that you know his salary. I mean, marginal. It doesn't really mean that much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, is is he's he's somebody that wants to win and he. He wants to win. He, he's going to put himself. The one thing about LeBron is he doesn't care about what anybody thinks, so he's going to put himself in the best position to win. And you know, you know, public opinion be darned. Yeah. You know, he's 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 going to try to tr- try to win games. But you know, if you had to ask me right now, um, I think that he's going back to Miami. I think that Wade and Bosch will both one of both one of both will opt out and um, they'll restructure their contracts either take less money or they'll spread their contracts out for more years and they'll make it a little bit more cap friendly and they'll go out and they'll get some help. Well, let's, as we're wrapping this up, uh, just surprises. What do you, what would be a big surprise for you tomorrow? Give me a couple of scenarios that's going to make you scratch your head a couple of times. What would make me scratch my head is if uh, the Utah Jazz picked Doug McDermott at five. <laughs> or Nick Stauskas. Or Nick Scousers, but definitely Doug McDermott. That's what will scratch, make me scratch my head. So you think it's going to be a pretty uh, rudimentary one through fifteen? Like there's not going to be a lot of shocks or. Well, I think Embiid is probably the wild. I think card, there'll right? be. I think there'll be a couple of shocks. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think that this has been one of the uh, most interesting lead-ins to an NBA draft that I've seen in quite some time. And you know, every draft they're going to be. There, every NBA draft, there have been surprises. I mean, it's very seldom that things go chalk. I mean, so we can make all of the mock drafts that we want, but, you know, somebody's gotten a promise somewhere that nobody knows about or somebody, you know, somebody slides that nobody knows about. I mean, last year Anthony Bennett went number one and nobody had him in the top five. So, I mean, it's – it's uh, I think it's going to be a roller coaster and it's going to be really interesting. Here, here's my question, and this we can end on this yeah, yeah. if you want. Will this draft be worth what the Jazz went through last year? That's a great question. Um, or could it be? You know, I, I you know I get a lot of emails talking about the Jazz should have sucked a little bit more, but it was hard to suck more than the first three teams. <laughs> well, more than more than Philly and and, and, Milwaukee. and Milwaukee because you know. Not only did they not have that much talent to begin with, I mean, they traded away all of their good play. Like Milwaukee traded Gary Neal. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia traded Evan, Evan Turner, Turner. And yeah. basically they're, you know, a lot of their starting five. So, you know, those teams, you know, put a real lot of effort in the tank. And then the Jazz are talented. Their first five, I mean, that core five, I mean, Hayward, Burks, Burke, you know, cancer and, and favors. I mean, there's talent in there. All of those guys are lottery picks, you know, and they're lottery picks for a reason. Those guys are talented, you know. But the good news is, you know, those guys are talented. They'll be a year older, and, and, and it leads me to believe that the rebuild is not as far-fetched as people think, as people might think it would. You just got to make the right moves around them. So, 
you know, is it is it going to be worth what the Jazz and the Jazz fans went through? You know, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, I think Dennis Lindsay got what he wanted out of this offseason. I mean, he changed coaches. Everybody knew that he was going to change coaches. Um, you know, I think that What's he's – What's Coach Corbin doing right now? Um, he's probably going to get an assistant job somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Sacramento is one potential land to stop, spot for him that I've heard. Um, you know, but he'll, he'll be an assistant somewhere and he'll he'll be all right. Sorry to cut you off. You're talking about Lindsey getting what he wanted with switching coaches out and stuff. Nah, he, you know he's you know I think he's going to get what he wants out of this off season. He's going to bring in one or or multiple rookies, and he's going to have. You know, he's going to try to make himself a player in free agency and, and then see see what the roster looks like uh, at the end of July. Well, you know, for those who have listened up to this 40th minute already, if you're not following Tony Jones on Twitter, you're missing out. This guy, he tweets often, he tweets good, he's got great insight, and he's a pretty funny guy online. So what's your handle on uh, Twitter? T. Jones, that's how Trib. T. Jones, S-L-T-R-I-B. If you're not listening, literally, if you made it 40 minutes into this, you have to be following Tony Jones on there. Uh, he's <laughs> one of my favorites, and he always brings the thunder. Uh, CK, what's your handle? Uh, no one can spell it themselves. Just look for Camerani, and you'll eventually find it. Starts with a K, ends with an I. You'll figure it out. Yeah, but Type in K-A-M. Yeah, there you go. They'll eventually bounce up there. But uh, Chris is doing great work on the World Cup, and you know, obviously he's doing a heck of a job for the Real Salt Lake. So for all the, uh, the believers out there, definitely you know about Chris and can work. Tony's going to be following Utah Jazz this year, so definitely follow him. Read what he has. He's got emails, questions, comments. Throw it to these boys. They know what they're talking about. My name's Ben Raskin. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.